following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. My words this morning aren't my words. They're God's words that he's put in my heart, and I just want to share some things with you. And having said that, just reinforce the fact that we're in this series, as you know, called Follow Me, and I'm going to just stay consistent with that, and we're just one more little aspect of that. And so we've been kind of working through the Gospel of Matthew, and if you follow 20-minute mornings, you'll recognize that our Sunday morning messages are just a little bit ahead of where you are on 20-minute mornings, but that's okay because this gives you something to look forward to when you get to that point. So we're in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, and uh, we're going to be there probably for several mornings, but that's where we are this morning. And so I'm just going to take a look right at uh, Matthew chapter 6 for starters, and uh, I'm going to read that, and it's going to be up on the screen as well. And I'm reading from NIV, and I think that's what's on the screen, so here we go. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Boy, that's a a heavy load of Scripture there. I could spend several weeks on that whole little segment. In fact, as I'm looking at this, the preacher in me couldn't help but kind of automatically outline, you know, here's a series of sermons in this section of verses, and oh, here's another one. Oh, and there's another one. And then what God has given me kind of some thoughts, oh, there's another series as well. But I'm not going to try to cool all of those series this morning. Um, we've got some, uh, a time schedule. Uh, Trevor mentioned earlier something about he set his timer. <laughs> he knows how much time he had, and I know how much time I've got, and I know there's a game at, what is it, 1 o'clock, so we'll, we'll be in good shape, so we'll just keep pressing on here. I've got my timer set, too, so if I go too long, well, it's going to remind me, and I'm probably going to get lots of waves or something if I do, too. So anyway, just to get right on it. Prayer is an interesting subject. It's something that probably a lot of us um, do consciously or subconsciously. Uh, Sometimes we do it intentionally on a particular need or occasion. Other times we do it just kind of automatically when we're in a tight spot, like uh, if you're going down the freeway or the highway or something and uh, there's this big flake-out accident ahead of you, some semi wipes out the car ahead of you and you don't have time to stop, Guess what you're going to be doing? Well, you're going to be panicking first, of course, but probably you're going to be praying too a little bit, uh, whether you got that formed ahead of time or not. It's going to happen. But before we get into that too much, I just want to start with the, the word 
as to maybe a couple of reasons, well, three actually, as what prayer is not, because I think that's an important thing to, uh, to consider too when we're just talking about prayer. And uh, the first one is that prayer is not wishful thinking. Now, when I was growing up, I did not grow up in a, in a believing household. And one of the first, if you will, non-prayer prayers that my mother taught me, and I had that as a little kid, up through probably about, oh, the second or third grade, actually, at least that far. But it was this, and some of you recognize the words probably. It was simply, I wish I may, I wish I might have the wish I wish tonight. I don't know if any of you use that. I hope not. But that's what I did at that stage. Another one that uh, kind of falls in the same category is uh, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are up above the world so high. You know, I wish I may, I wish I might, have the wish I wish tonight, and so on. Uh, there's another one, too. Maybe you saw the movie years ago, and I think it's doing some reruns recently on Netflix and so on, uh, about Pinocchio. And in Pinocchio, Jiminy Cricket sings a little song that goes something like, uh, when you wish upon a star... You know, and it makes no difference who you are. Just go ahead and wish on the star and all your dreams will come true. Oh, if only that were true, huh? Not quite that simple. That's, that's what prayer is not, one of the things. Another thing that prayer is not is rote memorization. Another one that my mother taught me when I was a little youngster, and it was one that, well, it's kind of an interesting uh, flair to it. You know, and some of you probably have heard it too. Maybe you've said it. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord, my soul to keep. And here's the scary part. If I die before I wake, <laughs> I pray the Lord, my soul to take. Preschool era, I was afraid of that. I mean, she told me I was supposed to say that because I'm kind of giving it over to the Lord, whoever the Lord was at that point in our lives. And I was never quite sure at that point. But if I die before I wake, that was kind of a scary idea to me. I don't want to die. I'm not ready for that. But that's what I was supposed to pray somehow. Rote memorization, whether it's a simple little prayer like that or whether it's a more complex one, maybe rote memorization even follows along the line of the Lord's Prayer, which we read earlier. And some people, a lot of people, maybe many of you, as myself as well, got that by memory. And we can just kind of rattle it off without even thinking about what we're saying. But that's not really praying, is it? That's just reciting from memory. Or another, the third one, prayer is not negotiation or a magic formula of some kind. The old formula for prayer in many people's lives, and it has been, I confess, in my life at time or two, is, like, Lord, if you'll just do this for me, then I'll do this for you. <laughs> And sometimes that's a prayer of desperation. Sometimes it's a prayer that people issue when they're trying to overcome some habit or addiction in their lives or something that they don't like about themselves. God, if you just take this away from me, then I'll just give my life to you. Well, that's, that's negotiation, really. It's kind of setting a negotiation, though, on our terms, not on God's terms. And prayer to be genuine is God, I think, and I believe God wants to hear it from us, is not on our terms, but on His terms. And in fact, if you go to the Scripture, there is one Old Testament verse in particular that stands out as a great example of the, the right kind of negotiation from the right terms, and it's in 2 Corinthians 7.14, and it's another one that you've heard many times. 
And it says, if my people, God is speaking here, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven, will heal their land and forgive their sin. Now that's prayer negotiation from God's perspective, not from ours. And that's where our prayer life should start, I firmly believe. And I think that's what the Scripture reveals as well. So we could turn then, well, if those are some of the things that prayer is not, maybe we consider briefly what prayer should be or what prayer is. And again, three things just, this list could be much longer than this, but three things that I think are kind of central to that. And first and foremost, prayer should be focusing on God not on ourselves. The opportunity to exalt God and lift Him up rather than lifting ourselves or our needs or our desires up. Not that we shouldn't include our desires in that. God told us to do that, in fact, in the Scripture. But first and foremost, to lift up His focus. And in the Scripture this morning that we read in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, when you pray, notice he didn't say if you pray, he said when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. They've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And don't just keep on babbling like the pagans. They'll not be heard because of their many words. He knows what you need before you ask him. Well, if he does, then why do we need to ask him? Well, I struggled with that sometimes when I was early in my life of faith and walk of faith. We need to ask him because he tells us to. He doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. So I'm supposed to pray. That's clear from the Scripture. It's a way of expressing things from God's point of view, not from ours. And that kind of brings up the second point there, I think, that prayer should always be two-way communication. It's not us talking to God, it's us talking with God. And talking is a good term, I think. We don't have a, a set format or set formula or set set of words that we're supposed to use, that would be rote memorization. Just converse with God. That was a, a great revelation for me early on because the, the first church that I attended regularly, my senior year in high school, in fact, was one which people had a kind of a set form. They didn't always use the same words, but they always moved from point A to point B, and you could just kind of forecast and know ahead of time what they were going to say, whether they use the specific words every time or not. It wasn't conversational. And when I learned to just converse with God, that did two things for me. One, it, it relaxed me. It took some of the pressure off because I didn't have to remember, quote, the formula to use. But it also impressed upon me that I was not just speaking into the air. I wasn't just waiting to hear some kind of magic words from the air, I was actually conversing with someone. I was conversing with God, with Jesus, as He's revealed Himself to us. It isn't one-sided communication, shouldn't be. 
it's not like a spiritual email where we itemize our needs and wants and then click the spiritual send button. It's more like checking our email and then responding to it. Oh, yeah, reply. Yes, Lord. I can reply. I can converse. And a vital part of that communication is beginning as much or more than speaking. It's kind of like the reason God gave us two ears and one mouth. <laughs> we need to listen to God as much, probably twice as much as we speak to Him. But it's a two-way communication. And then third, it's, it's personal, and I've already alluded to that. That we're not, we're not speaking to some far-off, distant deity that we can't approach on our level at all. It's a personal thing. Jesus said, just, you know, if you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. And how did the disciples react and respond to Jesus? They talked to Jesus like he was a person, which he was. God in human flesh, but a person nevertheless. And we can approach him on the same level. We should approach him on the same level, not as some abstract concept of deity or something else. In the scripture, it says that when we do that, when we think of God as some far-off distant deity that, that we can't approach in the way that we approach somebody else that we know from day to day, that that becomes like an idol, and idols are something strictly forbidden in the Scripture, as we, we know if we've read any Scripture at all. And what is an idol? The Scripture says, and all the prophets reinforce this, an idol are those things that we, we make up on our own thing. It might be a physical thing, but it might be just in our mind even for that stand, from that matter. But idols are things that can't respond to us. They can't, they don't speak, they don't hear, we, they're just there. And what point is there in that? In Psalm 46.10, it says to be still and know that I'm God. And David in the Psalms reinforces and repeats that phrase many times because to David, and I love the Psalms from this standpoint, because David spoke to God like God was somebody that he could converse with. And he is. And I think David reinforced that. And, and so when, when David shared that God speaks to us and saying, be still and know that I am God, that we can just do that. We don't have to overwhelm God with a lot of language. Just speak with him personally. And in fact, in that little phrase, be still and know that I am God, the word know in that, the Greek word out of that, or the, I'm sorry, the Hebrew word from the Old Testament for know is yada. Yada means to know something personally, not abstractly or intellectually, but personally. And that's the way we ought to be when we talk to God and when we listen to God and when we converse with Him. Or in Joel chapter 12, verse 27, it says, God is again speaking, His, you will know that I am among you. And again, that word there for know is yada. You'll know me personally, God is saying. Converse with me. Talk to me. I want to talk to you. I want to be in your life, and I want you in mine. Coming up to the New Testament, one verse there, not the only one, but one significant one is in John, Gospel of John, chapter 669. It says, we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. There's a confession of faith of the 
disciple is responding to Jesus' question, I, what, what do you say that I am, Jesus said. And that was their response. We, we believe and know. And the Greek word there for know is gnosko, which, which just means that we affirm who you are. We affirm that we want to have a relationship with you. We affirm that we want to have a conversation with you about my needs and what you expect of us. And again, that two-way conversation and, and exchange. And so if we, we know what it's not, we know maybe what it could be or should be, then how do we go about it? And that's uh, my third point, how to pray. How to pray. Earlier I said prayer is not so much a magic formula and what it wasn't, but we do yearn for a way to pray, don't we? It's one thing to say we should pray, we should talk to God, but how exactly do we do that? And we all have probably our own experience at that, but just to share a couple of thoughts here this morning. There's two man-made models. They're not the only models, but they're good reminders when we come to a time of prayer. The first one is the acronym ACTS, ACTS. It's one that I learned early on in my walk of faith, and it may be one that was helpful to some. Maybe some of you know it already ahead of them. But ACTS reminds me to first adore God. That's the A. Second, to confess what I have to confess in my life, and the Scripture tells me to do that, so I need to do that when I come in prayer to God. When I've done that and I've gotten God's response and reassurance, then T is thanksgiving. Give thanksgiving for that forgiveness that I get from God, that I, forgiveness, I'm sorry, thanksgiving for the ability to have the relationship and to talk with Him freely and, and so on. And then finally, the S is supplication, or that's the asking part. Notice that comes at the end, not at the beginning. Unfortunately, many of us, I did in my early prayer life, started that backwards, but it's, it's acts. It's not scat. <laughs> yeah. Another model, and I'll borrow, I borrow this freely from Instay, by the way, and I'll take just a quick moment to give a quick commercial there since I borrowed their material. The Instay prayer circle. Uh, is one, and here it is right out of the textbook, although this is a lot more colorful than the one that's in the book. Uh, but instay is that opportunity to, to get into God's Word a little bit deeper and to learn some things uh, at a deeper level. And one of the sections that we've, in this particular t- segment right now, for, in fact, have had a, had a chapter and a, and a week or two on the subject of prayer, and I've borrowed a couple of thoughts from there. I'll admit that freely. Uh, but the Acts prayer circle is another possibility of a, as a model that we can use. And, and um, you can find that in Instay textbook. And the easiest way to do that is to sign up for Instay. Simple, right? And we'll be starting a new session right after Easter. So prepare yourselves. So there's some New Testament models too, though. Those are both man-made, man-constructed, and conceived. That's helpful sometimes. But always we want to come back to the Word, don't we? Because the Word is our basis of truth. That's where we, where we find truth. That's where if we have questions about our faith or where our faith comes from or how we're supposed to react or act in our faith, including prayer, nothing is better than to go to the Word of God. When the, so in the New Testament, there's three models. There's a lot more than that. But if I took more than three, I wouldn't have time this morning to get you out in time for the game. So we want to stick with... Uh, a minimal number. So in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, 
And it's also in Matthew, or the one that we read this morning for our key uh, scripture. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Again, just a reinforcement. I said it once earlier, but it's worth repeating that Jesus said, when you pray, not if you pray. So when he has that assumption, I, for one, want to know, well, okay, what do you expect of me then, Lord? And so he goes on, and, and he started out in the Matthew uh, lesson that we read or heard this morning, saying some things not to do, but there's also some things to do in there, and that's useful. So go back and, and mark in your Bible or in your notes if you're taking them or if you're hearing this on the podcast, uh, check it out and look it up. When God, through Jesus, said, when you pray, pray like this, or don't pray like this, as the case may be. Just take note of that. And those are not complete lists, but I think they're probably the most important ones. Not to do or to do, as the case may be. And then in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you've been familiar with that episode at all. This is just prior to the crucifixion and that final few days of Jesus' time on this earth. And he's gathered his disciples, and they're coming there to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray together. And Jesus tells them, you guys wait here just a moment. I'm going to go over there and pray to my Father. And while I'm gone, watch and pray. Now, there's something significant about that instruction. Watch and pray. He didn't mean watch me when I'm going and see where I go. <laughs> That's not what he was saying. The word watch there in the Greek means gregorio. That's the Greek word. But it means be alert and be attentive. And it means when we come to God in conversational prayer and we come to him with our heartfelt needs or just our passing concerns even, to be alert and attentive. He didn't say, just rattle off some words. In fact, he says, don't rattle off some words, didn't he? Don't go on babbling like the pagans do, he said. But watch and be attentive and pray. And then in Matthew 6, 6, there's a kind of an interesting uh, instruction there that he gives. He says, when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. I don't know if you saw the movie, been just a short time ago that it was in the theaters as a special presentation, but you can look, look it up online and look at it now if you didn't happen to see it there. The movie War Room, any of you see that? Talked about prayer in a very real sense, and uh, the, the, the lead character in that movie had a special place where she went. It was her war room, if you will, to do war with the devil, with God as her companion and, and thing. And she went there, and that was her spot. Well, I think Jesus is suggesting to us that when we do a personal conversation with, with Jesus, and we have a set time for that, there's some, certainly some, some value in that, having a set time, but maybe there's a value in having a set place, too. Maybe it's not a set-aside special room like there was in that movie, 
but just a place. And sometimes that place can just be in our own mind, and we can set aside a, a quiet place and intentionally shut out the all of the clamor of the world. And boy, in this season of the year, there's a lot of clamor and distractions, isn't there? And we can let that overtake us and overwhelm us, or we can somehow intentionally set aside a moment or a time or some moments to just get away from the clamor and the distractions and just have a conversation with Jesus. However, you might do that. John Wesley's mother had a unique characteristic, and I'm not suggesting this. It might work for you. It might not. But she had a rocking chair, and when it was time for prayer, she would, because she had a lot of kids. I don't remember off the top of my head how many kids. She had many children, and there was a lot of distraction in her home, and, and she got close with Jesus. She'd sit in her rocker chair and take her apron and put it up over the top of her head, and that was a signal to everybody else this is not the time to bother mom with a question or a need. This is mom's private time, and she's with Jesus in her prayer space, if you will. And uh, it's just a symbolic thing that just draw aside and reserve some time. When? That's up to you. God doesn't set for any promise or any premise or any particular schedule in the Scripture. No, you should always do this at... Five o'clock in the morning, or six, or seven, or whatever time, or just before you go to bed at night, or, you know, any of those are good times. God, through Jesus, said, I'm with you always. So any time is a good time, but it is a good technique, good model, good role model that Jesus set up for us to set aside some time and just go to Him in secret. Paul, later on in his letter, says, you should pray constantly. Well, how do you do that? Just an attitude of mind, maybe. But besides that, there needs to be that time, according to Jesus, to set aside a private moment, just to come to Him. He wants to hear from you. He wants to talk to you. He already knows your thoughts, of course, but He wants to hear you express them to Him and to respond and to react to him and to his thoughts for your life. Well, and then we can go and we think about a common catchphrase in advertising. And I know you've all seen it and heard it many times, new and improved. Any product, anything is better if it's new and improved, right? So the advertisers would tell us anyway. And does that apply to prayer? New and improved prayer. Okay, here it is. No, I don't have a new, improved method of prayer for you this morning. I don't think the Scripture, if you go back and read it, as many might be new to you, but it's not new to the Scripture in terms of a method of prayer or a technique of prayer, if you will. Now, the best model or formula is really an old, established form and method, and it's one which Jesus Himself did, and we read it together, heard it together this morning, Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask him, so this then is how you should pray. And then he tells us the, what we come to know as the Lord's Prayer. And that's both an opportunity and a danger. It's an opportunity because Jesus himself has shared with us how to pray to God the Father, and by extension, of course, 
to him, Jesus. That's the opportunity, the privilege. But the danger to that, isn't it, is that we know the Lord's Prayer so well, so many of us, that we can rattle it off without even thinking about what we're saying. True? Sure it is. One of the things when I was growing up and then all of the years that I was active in in the, in the chaplaincy, in the military, in leading chapel services, every service, you know, there was a place in the service where we all repeated together the Lord's Prayer. And everybody did just that. They repeated the Lord's Prayer. Did they pray the Lord's Prayer? Maybe or maybe not. Some of them probably did. But I suspect that some of them didn't pray the Lord's Prayer. They repeated the Lord's Prayer. And again, I'll have to confess that sometimes leading the worship service, I repeated the Lord's Prayer. And it was kind of embarrassing sometimes to realize that in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, I kind of forgot what phrase was coming next because I wasn't thinking about it. I was just repeating it. And if you're leading this congregation and saying the Lord's Prayer, you don't want to forget what you're saying. (laughs) Well, the same thing applies to our time with with the Lord. And he gave us that model prayer, not as a rote thing, not as a magic thing, not as something which we can just set aside and say, aha, this is it. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what I'm supposed to do today. So I'm just going to repeat the Lord's. No, don't repeat it. Please don't ever get into the habit or the fault of just repeating the Lord's prayer. If you're going to use the prayer that Jesus taught us, and he did, he said, when you pray, this is how you should pray. But was he talking about actual words, or was he talking about thoughts, the thought process, the progression of thought within the prayer? And I think that's what he was talking about. There's one of those series that, you know, we could spend weeks taking elements of the Lord's Prayer, and we don't have time to do that. The hawks are playing in less than about an hour. So, but we're just going to talk a little bit about some of the elements of the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to divide it up into three elements this morning. We could do much more than that, but just three kind of key thoughts about the Lord's Prayer. And I hope, I guess it's my prayer, if you will, that when you think about the Lord's Prayer, when you repeat the Lord's Prayer, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, that your progression of thought might be something along these lines, because I personally think maybe that's what Jesus was trying to say to us. That first phrase, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Well, first of all, we know the word hallowed there. That's kind of not a modern word, so we're going to insert a modern word, holy. Father in heaven, holy is your name. So there's a whole bunch of meaning in that phrase alone, isn't there? Jesus said, Our Father. Well, first of all, that's a personal thing. Our Father. It's Jesus' Father. It's my Father. God in heaven. We share that in common. Ever think that you had something in common with Jesus? Well, that's a significant one. We have that in common with Jesus. And we talk to our Father. Our Father, there's a, it's a personal thing. And it's a very close personal thing. There's something I had to overcome in my life, and I don't know if any of you have this struggle or not, but in my home, my parents were divorced when I was 10 years of age. 
I didn't have a father in my home after that. I had a stepfather, a stepfather who provided for our physical needs, but he was never a father. He was never a dad to me. And so for me, when I came into a position of exploring the possibility of faith in my own life, to pray our, my father, our father, that didn't really mean anything real positive to me until I came to really know and come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he says, our father, this is the same father that Jesus had, is my father. And that meant something a whole lot more to me. And I could then pray, honestly, sincerely from my heart, our father who is holy in heaven. And I hope that in your life, of your life of prayer, and when you repeat that, or when you pray that prayer, that, that that's a personal kind of relationship with you. If you know Christ personally, you can say with Jesus, our Father who art in heaven. He isn't distant or unknown. He's a personal Father who loves us. He loves you. We're reminded in the Scripture, He loves us so much that He sent His only Son to give up His life in exchange for ours to take all of the sin and the wrongness that's in our lives and put it on Jesus. This isn't the time of the year when we focus and concentrate on the crucifixion and the cross and all the ugliness that that was, but it all kind of began at Christmas, didn't it? Because we couldn't have an Easter crucifixion or an Easter resurrection if we didn't have a Christmas birth first. And while that happened in the physical aspect and realm, it happens in us personally and spiritually as well. We can't really experience the resurrection of Christ, a resurrection faith in our own life until we first accept and recognize the birth of Christ in us personally. And when we do that, then that first phrase of the Lord's Prayer can become real and personal to us. And I hope it is in your life. And when it is, then we can sincerely and honestly pray, as the, Jesus taught us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we can look around us, each and every one of us, and look at our earth as we know it, and how easy it is to get despaired and despairing and down in the dumps about that, You'd all know and recognize right away with me that you can't turn on the news anywhere, whether it's on one of these devices or whether it's something printed, without getting a kind of a negative look at the world, can we? Negative news is what sells copy. But we need to remember that there's good news in the world, too. And when confronted with the bad news in the world... That's a really good time to remember the prayer that Jesus himself taught us and to pray sincerely from our heart, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Please, Lord. At the end of the scripture, in the book of Revelation, there's a word that's used, and that's basically in one word expresses that thought, maranatha, which means Right now, Lord, come quickly. Do your will on earth as it is in heaven. And being human beings, 
we kind of take over that thought so many times, and there's organizations galore that, that try to usurp that, really, for themselves. And they do it in, maybe not for the wrong motive, maybe they do it from the right motive, but sometimes they do it in the wrong ways. Movements like um, environmentalism, for example. All of the stress on, if we could just do this, if we could just change the climate, the world would be so much nicer. If we could just do this, if we could just feed all of the hungry people, that'd be great. But is that going to buy, an, in and of itself, going to bring God's will on earth? Probably not, because there'd be so much other sin and stuff going on that would override it, probably. Or once in a while you talk to some people, and I don't want to tread on any toes. If anybody here is a peacenik, you know, this is not against you personally. It's against a movement that as if we could pray for where John Lennon wrote a song. Imagine if there's no war. Oh, that would be nice, I guess. Sure it would. But is it possible? Not in our lifetime. Not in our present state of the world, because Jesus himself said there will always be wars and rumors of wars until he comes again. So the real solution is to pray not necessarily for the end of war, because that's, a, that's an empty prayer, really, because Jesus said you can always have it. So how are we going to deal with it? We're going to deal with it by saying, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So whatever might be wrong in our world, in our earth, that we know it, or what's wrong in our lives, the tactic, the model, in the prayer that Jesus taught us isn't to say, what can I do to overcome all of this wrongness and badness? Our prayer is just to, to sincerely from our hearts to be able to say, please, Lord, your will be done. If that means the end of all of this, the end of my existence on this planet, well, isn't that what faith is all about? I want to be with him for eternity. So come quickly, Maranatha, your will be done on earth. And then, knowing that here we are, we're still living in this day and age until he does come or until he calls us home, give us eventually what we need. No, no. Give us today, right now, and it's okay. Whether it's daily bread, as he uses that figure in the Lord's Prayer, or whether it's any other need that we have. To be able to honestly, sincerely, and in open heart, come to him and say, Lord, just, just give me today my daily bread, and let that daily bread represent whatever my daily needs are, whether they're physical, emotional, whether it's overcoming something in my life, just... Lord, my desire is that you would just allow me to have that today. Thinking about that, asking him for that, stresses the fact that it's not just for me and my own personal benefit, although I'm going to get some benefit if, if he feeds me daily, day by day, or if he, he feeds whatever other need I have, that's going to be some personal benefit to me, but that's not the reason I pray it. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Another version of that prayer that some of you have learned is 
forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I don't want to dwell on that area. That's an important area, but we just, again, place our lives in His care. And in the process of doing that, letting go of our own anxieties or fears about who we are right now or what's going on in our life right now or what might go on in our life right now. There's another place in Scripture where Paul says, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. And I like this part best. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's a proper prayer. But it's a difficult one, isn't it? Have no anxiety about anything? <laughs> no way. Not in the flesh, at least. But if we can use the model prayer that Jesus taught us and just ask simply for our daily bread. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. Jesus, again, another place told us not to do that. Just for the moment. Give me what I need, moment by moment, day by day. That would be sufficient, Lord. And I'll walk with you in your design that you have for my life. And before I get started in all of that, just, Lord, please forgive me for anything that I've done wrong. Forgive me my trespasses or my debts to others. And that's not monetary debts as much as it is just what I've obligated myself. And it's a beautiful thing that we can place all, underline all, we can place all of our personal needs and actions under His cover and care. And when we do, then we can also say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's that evil one. <laughs> Whatever you think about the evil one, the devil, Satan, Beelzebub, whatever term you want to use, know for a certainty that the reality is there and that always behind Jesus encouraging us to walk rightly with Him and to pray rightly with Him, there is another call it force or entity, reality, that would lead us just as quickly away from Jesus through temptations of all kinds. And it's very proper and right for us to ask Jesus, lead us not into temptation, whatever those are in your life. And I know we've all got them in one kind or another, we struggle with some more than with others. But take them to Jesus and just ask Him in prayer, lead us not into temptation. And because our prayer is conversational and not demanding, it's not one way. We're not just asking or negotiating with Him to lead us not into temptation. It's a conversational thing, remember. 
And that when we're in conversation and we pray that prayer sincerely from our heart, I believe that Jesus will reveal to us ways in which we can take the lead away from the temptations or give us the strength that we have, the strength of of spirit and the strength of of stamina to, to walk away from those things. That's just as much Him leading us as us discovering it and finding or trying to do it on our own. Because when we try to do it on our own, speaking for myself anyway, when I try to do it in my own strength, I stumble and fall and find myself right back looking at the same thing again. So Jesus, if you'll just come with me and walk with me because that's what you promised to do, then I can avoid those temptations and those bad areas that I need to stay away from. So lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Protect me in that way. A personal, loving God and Heavenly Father cares about our physical needs as well as our spiritual needs. More for our spiritual needs than our physical ones. The physical ones are temporary, short-lived. They're going to be here and gone. And we focus on them a lot while we've got them because they're real to us in the moment. But always we have to be reminded that they are just in the moment. And we can, going back to that earlier part of the prayer, when we can pray, Father, your kingdom come in my life. Your will be done on earth. Your will be done in my life physically, but more importantly, spiritually. So... Having said all of that, we should be good to go, right? (laughs) Would that it were so. Would that it were that simple. The amazing thing is it probably is that simple. We just make it complicated in our thinking. We make it complicated by some of the expectations or some of the teachings or some of the things that just came our way. I just heard my alarm. That means it's time to quit. So I'm going to quit real quick here. Hush. If I could remember how to turn this off. There we go. Let me wind this up. Close with just quick little comments about some homework. I won't dwell on these at all, but here they are. Some hindrances to prayer besides ourselves, of course. That's the most important one. The first one is simply unbelief. You can't come to God and expect Him to meet you in conversational prayer unless you believe in Him. Hebrews 11 says 6. I'm sorry, 11.6 says that. That unless we believe in God, we can't expect to get the benefit, the reward from Him that the Scripture talks about. So I pray that you know Him and that you know Him personally. The second hindrance is unconfessed sin and the remedy for it. God never talks in the Scripture about sin without also giving us a remedy. The best remedy, of course, is the knowledge that Jesus Christ came to take that upon Himself. And that happens for us individually, personally, when we confess our sin and our shortcomings and our failings to Him. And we do that freely because the reward is great. Because I said, if we do that, He's faithful and just and He'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness and all filth. I love that part. Another hindrance to prayer is our own selfishness. Or an unforgiving spirit, and I think you're going to hear more about that in a week to come. Or finally, the wrong relationships that 
spouses or good friends have with each other. If our relationships with each other are wrong, then our relationship with Jesus is going to be wrong because he met us in a human relationship. And he knows us that way, and we can relate to him that way, and so we have to relate to others that way as well. So that's kind of it. Not if you pray, Jesus said, but when you pray. And I've shared some thoughts this morning. I hope they were helpful to you, meaningful to you. And so when you pray, just know that you're conversing, speaking with Jesus and through Jesus with God because they're one and the same, right? You're not speaking into the air. And if you ever feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, then you're approaching Jesus in prayer from the wrong perspective. Just converse with him, talk with him, and know from the scripture, and sometimes the scripture can speak to us through whatever device we happen to use about prayer and the answers to prayer. So God bless you. Keep praying. Don't ever give up on prayer. God gave it to us as the kind of a tool, one of the tools that we as human beings in human form need so much to connect with him and to be reconnected with him as often as we need.